This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straub. It is Friday, August 13th, and today we're going to be looking at some fantasy losers when it comes to free agency and the offseason in general. Some names you maybe haven't thought about in a minute who stand to lose ground based on the moves that their teams made. All of that and more coming up in just a second. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. As we say hello to everyone listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube, I'm joined by Ryan Knaus, Raphael Johnson. Guys, last week at this time, I floated the notion of making you, Ryan, a Lou Dort t-shirt since we haven't been able to get a t- a jersey. So the thought came to mind, I think Steve said something like, well, if I did something like that, it would look horrible. I said, maybe we should have a, converse, a competition between my four-year-old and you, Steve, so you makes the better makeshift Lou Dort t-shirt. Long story short, I think we, we scared Steve off. Like, I think that's why he's not here today. He was afraid we actually were going to have that art competition. He got a little anxiety. You know, that's my theory. I think he's just being a perfectionist. He's decided that he's going to beat your four-year-old at all costs. He's really going to take his time with this one. And it's just not ready. Uh, That would make me so happy if Steve was actually, (laughs) like, had spent most of this week trying to make a nice Lou Dort t-shirt. Bedazzling the numbers on the back. It's going to be, it's going to be good. All right, let's let's get into this, guys. We're going to talk about some fantasy losers, some potentially potential fantasy losers, players who lost ground, maybe have a more crowded rotation than we might have expected as a result of free agency in the offseason. So let's begin in Boston, where we know that Dennis Schroeder is a loser when it comes to finances. He turned down $84 million from the Lakers, pretty famously at this point, to take a one-year $5.9 million deal from the Celtics. So we know he is a significant financial loser at this point, but I want to talk about fantasy a little bit. What do you think about this landing spot for Schroeder, Raph? It's interesting. I, I think because of the the other variable is that he'll be playing for a new head coach and he may be okay. And we don't really know how he's going to use those guards. Like last year, 
we saw quite a bit of Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker on the court together. Um, there were some injuries that had a, had a role with that, but will he use Schroeder and Smart together? I don't know if he's going to do that. Um, I think Marcus Smart is a guy who early on, he looked like a fantasy winner when they traded Kemba Walker, um, who's now in New York. But now you have to wonder how much is he actually going to have the ball in his hands? Because also you've got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who are playmakes with the balls in their hands, the ball in their hands. And also Peyton Pritchard's looked really good in summer league. I know people are going to say it's just summer league, but I don't, he was already in the rotation. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep him off the court completely next season. So boy, I, I think smart is obviously going to play because of what he gives him defensively. And from a leadership standpoint, but with regard to the playmaking, he may take a hit there. Yeah, agreed. It'll be really interesting, actually, to see what Udoka does with this backcourt because you look at the personnel, it's fascinating. They have Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder. Pritchard has a lot of that like defensive pest DNA in him, too. And I'm totally with Raph. I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, he was a quality addition to the rotation last year. He's going to be in the mix. Then you got Josh Richardson, who you could say is defense first. His three-point shooting has backslid for five consecutive years, I believe. Uh, and then you have Chris Dunn. Same same format. You know, defense, where's the spacing going to come from in this backcourt? I'm not sure. I could definitely see them starting together just out of necessity. Uh, but it really is going to put a ton of pressure on Tatum and Brown. And that was part of the problem last year is they didn't have much behind those guys. Uh, Schroeder's good. You know, Kemba wasn't himself last year, so that's kind of a wash for me. Um, it, it's a bit messy. I do think Smart takes a hit with Schroeder coming to town because, as Raph said, the ball's out of his hands a little bit more. Maybe the minutes get pinched a slight amount. Not too concerned there. But, you know, if the dimes aren't at seven plus per game, then that sub 40 percent shooting starts to hurt a lot more. I think another guy we should mention yeah, is yeah, uh, Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, he's he's a guy who can give them some shooting yeah. on the wing. I think he's got a better chance of playing than Chris Dunn. Uh, there have been some rumors about them looking to move Dunn, which would make some sense because, you know, they've got – I think they've got enough defense for his point guards as it is. But <laughs> I know this would, that would pretty up, make the people down in Providence pretty upset, you know, that their native son get moved out of there immediately. But, you know, they, I don't think they're the fit for him. But I think Neesmith is a guy who's going to end up playing a bit more as well just because of his perimeter shooting ability. And the issues that Ryan brought up, you know, a minute ago. I really like Neesmith, too. He had a couple of eye-catching stat lines his rookie year that have still stuck with me. And it is funny to see Marcus Smart, a guy who last week we talked about as an offseason, earlier this week? This week we talked about as an offseason winner. In the matter of like four days, he's gone to a potential loser. I mean, I don't think that Smart takes a enormous hit with the arrival of Schroeder necessarily, but it's not like Smart had so many numbers so many stats to shave away from that you can be like oh well he's still going to be great i mean to your point you know he might go from his you know he could have had that sort of 13 point 14 point per game seven assists kind of season to suddenly is it like 12 and 5 and it's just a lot less exciting as for schroeder just his standalone value i mean last year he was around 15 points six times 1.1 steals 1.23s he's really kind of one of those guys who you He's got to be on a roster. He probably has to be in your lineup. You're not that happy when it's your lineup that he's in. So does anyone agree with that? Is anyone higher on Schroeder than I am? I, I just I, I don't see myself landing him anywhere. I, I'd probably take him as a late round flyer, but that would be the, the max for me. I'm personally rooting for him. 
like you don't just burn like eighty million dollars like that. Like I've seen some people say that he might decide that it's Dennis time and then the Celtics are in trouble. I think the exact opposite is more likely to happen. Like when you're in the position that he was in and you lose that kind of money, I think you're gonna do everything in your power to to make sure you don't go through that again. Obviously you can't lose eighty million when you're at five point nine, but I think you get what I'm saying here. I think he's going to try to put himself in the best yeah. position possible for free agency next summer. And part of that is making sure you don't kind of agitate your current team. So I think he's going to do a better, a good job of kind of fitting in there. Whether or not that results in numbers that make him like a mid-round fantasy value, I don't know if I see that. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I'm probably staying away. Uh, just not a great statistical profile for fantasy backslid again percentages last year to 43 percent that's not a big surprise uh not a natural three-point shooter assists hopefully will be there around five six per game but he's also a guy who doesn't steal the ball a ton which kind of surprising you know given his you watch him play he's up in guys uh, applying right. full court pressure a defensive pest and yet per 36 minutes he's never had more than or rather one time he's had more than 1.3 steals so not going to really win you that category, not going to be a game changer in dimes, even though he'll help, not going to win you three pointers, potentially hurting field goal percentage. It's just too mixed of a bag for me to go anywhere closer than late rounds. Yeah, 1.1 steals per game for Schroeder was actually a good steal season for him. I think that tied his yeah. career high. And as for the money, do you guys think Schroeder's agent is having some sleepless nights these oh. days? I would be I would be very restless if I was the agent who who helped turn down that money. Is he still his agent? I feel bad for the guy. I haven't checked that. Nerlens Noel went through a similar situation down in Dallas where, you know, he turned down a significant amount of money and it, it kind of blew up in his face. And I think he got rid of his agent. So I would feel worse if Schroeder, if Schroeder wasn't coming off a deal where he was earning 17 million a year yeah. for, or I think it was three years. Like, you know, I feel bad for the guy because he's being pilloried in the headlines and all this. And we're talking about it and how much money he lost. And that's his bank right. account, you know. But uh, yeah, he's rich. <laughs> he, is, he is a rich person. Yes, six million is also a good amount of money for one year. <laughs> one guy we haven't talked about in a while is Terry Rozier. He had a fantastic fantasy season last year and was largely written off for the season. I think mostly because of the arrival of LaMelo Ball. Now, the Hornets no longer have Devontae Graham, but they did add Ish Smith. They drafted James Booknight 11th overall, and they signed Kelly Oubre, a different position, but another guy who is going to demand a certain amount of usage. So, Ryan, we'll start with you here. Do you have any concerns about Rogier's usage dropping off as a result of these changes in Charlotte, or do you think it's going to be more of the same from good old Terry? I think if I can split the difference a little, I'll do that. I think... You know, last year he was kind of a breakout guy. I don't think any of us expected top 40 fantasy value in the numbers that he did put up, uh, especially with LaMelo in the backcourt and uh, Devontae there as well. But it is a net negative, I think, when you swap out Devontae Graham and Malik Monk and bring in Kelly Oubre and James Booknight, and you mentioned Ish Smith. I think that's a net negative for Rogier, uh, especially because Gordon Hayward's supposed to be healthy for training camp. So if he comes in, he's another playmaker, going to get his touches. Oubre will get his. Lamelo's going to be running the show. Uh, there's, there's a lot of mouths to feed. So I would probably bump him back in 2019-20. He was like a top 75 guy. That's where I'll be mm -hmm. looking for him. I'm not going to chase the top 50, whatever he did last year. Yeah, that's where about, that's about where I'd have him as well. Um, 
I think the Gordon Hayward return may be the biggest thing that impacts Rozier because Gordon is going to get his touches, as Ryan said. Um, I'm not as concerned about Oubre, Booknight, and, and Smith. Uh, Booknight's going to have a learning curve to go through you know, as a rookie. Uh, Oubre, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to put the ball in his hands a significant amount. Like He's certainly going to get his opportunities to score, but I don't know if we're going to have to worry too much about you know, him just trying to take over the offense. I don't think the, the Hornets are going to put him in that spot. Ish Smith, he may get, what, 15, 17 minutes a game out of him. And, you know, <laughs> he's he's never struck me as like a great statistical guy to where he could threaten a guy like Rozier. But, yeah, you, you bring in Gordon Hayward, you bring him back in the mix. Lamelo's a year older. Also, you've got Mason Plumley. He's not going to be like a back-to-the-basket type post, but – You've got more quality in the, in the five spot than they've had in the past with Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo. So I, I, I agree with Ryan. I think Rozier's more like a top 75 player. If someone were to try to jump in early and take him, I would have no problem with them doing that because it would kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't be rushing yeah. to kind of match that, so to speak. You know, but if, they, if someone wanted to rush and take him earlier, go right ahead and do it. Cody Zeller was in what eight years in charlotte doesn't it feel like about 15 it's the longest eight years of my life <laughs> and as for i'm just curious about book night you know we saw him have a real eye-catching stat line in summer league this week i think it was 23 points eight dimes we we had we already used the phrase it's just summer league do you think this guy has a path to real minutes as a rookie ryan I mean, and is anything he's doing in summer league potentially forcing that to happen? I don't put too much stock in his summer league play. I mean, the Hornets already knew who they were drafting, a guy who can fill it up in a hurry. Again, I I think you'll you'll both agree that he's going to fill that Malik Monk kind of or Malik Monk uh, bench microwave scorer type role. Raf kind of scared me off a little because Raf watches more college ball than I do for sure, and. You know, he's right. There's that rookie learning curve. I don't expect him to be playing huge minutes. Inefficiency is probably going to be a problem. Again, this is a guy who, you know, elbow injury and all shot 29%, I think, from deep last year. So he still has a lot to prove. Uh, I won't be drafting him until, I, you know, maybe in the preseason, if he looks like just ready made, ready to go against NBA competition, I might change my story. But for now, I'm considering him undrafted. When we look at Book Knight's numbers, something that's important to remember is that that UConn team did not have a lot in the way of offensive talent around it. So a lot of their possessions mm-hmm. were give the ball to James late in the shot clock and see if he can bail us out. That's not going to help your numbers. I don't no. care what level of basketball you're playing. Um, and then you brought up his good summer league stat line. You also got to look at when he ran into Davion Mitchell, the guy they gave the nickname Off Night to because when he guards you, you usually have an off night. And that's what happened to James. So I'm kind of in between on James. While I think playing alongside better talent will take off some of that, like, creation pressure that he had at UConn and maybe help his efficiency, playing alongside that talent may mean fewer opportunities for him to score himself. So – I'm with Ryan. I don't see him as a rookie that I have to draft. Maybe if there's a run on rookies late in like a deep league, you may want to grab him just in case. But other than that, yeah, I'm kind of taking the cautious approach to James Booknight from a fantasy standpoint. 
I, I think I'm taking the cautious approach to the Hornets from a fantasy standpoint because you just look at this depth mm. chart. It is crowded, mm. and there is not a lot of clarity. I mean, Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre, P.J. Washington, that's just part of the forward log jam. Uh, I didn't even mention Gordon Hayward, I don't think, in that sentence. Uh, center is a little tricky. They've got Plumlee, but they drafted Kai Jones, Rogier, Book Knight. You know, it, it's a mess. I think the only Hornets player I would target is Lamella Ball, and I think that his ADP is going to be so high by the time drafts roll around that that's probably going to be a dicey proposition as well. So I don't see myself getting a lot of Hornets in fantasy drafts just as a side thought to this conversation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Let's move on. Darius Garland started to emerge as a pretty solid fantasy point guard last year, average around 17 points and six dimes. The Cavs, though, have traded for Ricky Rubio, a guy who certainly looked like he had plenty left during the Olympics, especially when he dropped 38 points against the U.S. By the way, I will add, this is a guy who has never averaged less than 26 minutes a game during his NBA career. So I'm not suggesting that Rubio will have standalone fantasy value in Cleveland, but do you worry Raph, about him putting a dent, even if it's a small one, in Darius Garland's value? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I've never, I haven't been too high on Cleveland's guards recently from a fantasy standpoint, just because it, the efficiency is just uh-huh. kind of cratered. I think, if anything, Ricky Rubio could potentially help him um, because you've got a guy who's a, a distributor who can set, set players up and put them in positions where they can be successful. The thing I'm more worried about is what they do with Colin Sexton. Like, there are trade rumors, and then there are rumors that Cleveland may want to look to extend him, which would be certifiably insane, in my opinion, because when you have those two guards, you're also limiting Isaac Okoro. So I think Isaac Okoro may be a guy who ends up being helped the most by the, the addition of Ricky Rubio, especially if they try to keep all three of those guys together. If I'm Isaac, I'm beating on J.B. Bickerstaff's door and just asking him to stagger my minutes so I play more with Rubio and Garland and Sexton because he needs to have the opportunity to fully flourish offensively, and I don't think that current lineup is going to give him the opportunity to do so. So Hmm. to answer your first question, I don't think Garland will be hurt too much by the addition of Rubio, but I think Rubio is going to end up helping a few other guys in that roster. I, Raph, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> to say that I literally view view Rubio as like a team skills boost in a video game where like other guys yeah. level up a little bit across <laughs> the board. Uh, it, you know, his, he's not a high usage guy. His usage was down to 16% last year with the Wolves. That was the lowest in his career. You know, he's just not a high volume scorer. He's out there to facilitate and set up teammates. And I'm so glad you mentioned Isaac Okoro, a perfect example of a player who could really benefit with off ball movement, getting wide open catch and shoots from Rubio. Um, you know, the Cavs are trying to expand his game where they're, they're, we're seeing point Okoro in summer league. Uh, he has the ball in his hands a lot. It hasn't necessarily gone all that well, but it, it's fine. That's what summer league's for. They're trying to expand his game, see what he can do, get him facilitating. And he's probably going to play more two guard this season uh hopefully alongside rubio as you mentioned um so i'm not too concerned about garland getting hurt uh you know maybe adding rubio was a bit of insurance a precursor to a potential colin sexton trade that would be interesting because garland played Mm -hmm. almost exclusively point guard Mm -hmm. last season so how does that backcourt look you know is he suddenly shifting to shooting guard if rubio's starting if sexton's gone we don't know um but in general it's not a in a free agent edition that's making me uh or rather trade edition that's making me second guess uh garland at all 
One thing we agree on here, Isaac Okoro, potentially a very fun late round flyer in fantasy drafts. A guy whose numbers last year will certainly hold his draft position in check. And he had some eye-catching stat lines late in the season, including a 32-point game in May. So that's a guy that I have my eye on for sure. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay, getting back on track. The, the second half of this is going to be, I think, more front court focused. And let's go back to Boston, where fantasy managers may have lost track of Al Horford's location by now, but he is, in fact, back with the Celtics, who have also brought back Enos Cantor. So what does the arrival or return of these two veterans do when it comes to the breakout potential of the Time Lord, Robert Williams? Ryan. I'm not too too worried, frankly. I mean, Horford okay. will be in his, what, his age 35 season, I believe. Uh, and his He's minutes... Ageless. He's ageless, yeah. Ryan. He's his ageless. minutes... Can, continue to decline Ennis Cantor probably will be out of the rotation for stretches this season he's a complete liability de- defensively he provides something for Boston but you know I think he's more there as insurance for the front court and insurance is important and this is a key is that Robert Williams has not been able to stay healthy he's played just over 100 games in three seasons part of that was because he wasn't in the rotation as a rookie and so forth but couldn't really stay healthy last year the Celtics are all about protecting his health we saw that again last year you know Brad Stevens was saying we want him to ramp up right around the postseason they were limiting him limiting him so I don't expect him even if at full health if Horford's gone and Cantor's injured, you know, whatever, whatever happens, I think 24 to 26 minutes is probably where they want Robert Williams. That's a number he can hit even with Horford and Cantor healthy and doing what they do. So it doesn't bother me. I mean, his per 36 numbers are ridiculous. Uh, 3.3 blocks, 1.6 steals over three dimes, 13 boards and 15 points. I read that stat line backwards just to confuse people. Um, but yeah, so that's that's, that's it. It's I'm, good. Uh, <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Frontwards or backwards, it's good. Correct. Yeah, he hasn't played more than 19 minutes per game in any season in his NBA career thus far. So it's not like they're going to decrease his minutes from that. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned right. there. Horford, as you mentioned, he's, he's kind of getting out there in years. Um, he did have plenty of time off last season uh, when the Thunder shut him down. But, you know, between him and Cantor, how many minutes a game do you think you can get from those guys? You know, maybe like 
30, but then you can use Canner some at the four. You could probably use Williams and Horford together in a, in a larger lineup if they so if they chose to do that. So I don't think Robert's going to be losing too much. You know, like Ryan said, the key for him is to stay healthy. You know, I think with the time Lord, the key is to stay healthy. The key for Mitchell Robinson, New York, to stay out, stay out of foul trouble. You know, so they're both guys who have potential, but they haven't fully reached it because of those issues. I wouldn't be too worried about Robert. Me personally, I would let someone else draft him. But, you know, if someone wants to go after him, go right ahead and do it. That someone is me. I don't think I'm going to be able to resist. <laughs> I love Robert Williams. And I'm so I'm so relieved by this last little exchange we had because I came at you guys with a little bit of anxiety. I was nervous about the front court situation in Boston. You guys said, don't worry about it, Matt. It's fine. You also said, don't draft him, but I'm ignoring yeah, you. Yeah, I'd take him late, but I can't go with, like say, like a oh, yeah. round type deal. So I want to. Roll the dice. Roll the dice like that. I will, <laughs> Matt. I'll be fighting you for his for his services next year. Ryan, you and I made a trade. <laughs> I know. Where Robert Williams me. was a throw in. You threw in Robert Williams, and then I cut him because he hadn't really taken off yet. It was still one of those frustrating stretches, and then he really took off. And that, boy, that <laughs> I think that trade happened in J- like January, maybe or something, when he was averaging 14, 15 minutes per game, and he was still yeah. getting those blocks. But it was just like it's not happening, and you know, a little banged up. And man, did we ever regret that! So I think part of that that bitterness, and I want to erase that shame by putting him on a bunch of my <laughs> yeah. teams next year, which is a healthy way to approach fantasy drafting, smart and healthy. Uh, also, I just we mentioned Al Horford resting. I had just had to go back and pull this up because it's one of my favorite just blurb lines that I've seen on our website in a while. It's just the simplicity of this is so beautiful. Al Horford, Al Horford will rest for the Thunder's final 28 games of the season. It's just, <laughs> I mean, that is really something. 28 games of rest. That's I mean, great. That, that is magical. Don't Never change, OKC. All right. Meanwhile, uh, another center rotation I want to ask you guys about, and it's a similar story where you have some intriguing young players, too, in this case, who may have a veteran in their way. That takes us to Orlando. You have Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, a pretty fun young center duo. And for some reason, the Magic have brought in Robin Lopez. Now, I, I have no illusions about Lopez getting major minutes at this point in his career, but he did earn 19 minutes a game for the Wizards last year and was partially responsible though I mostly blame Scott Brooks for Daniel Gafford being held in check. <laughs> so I'm I'm worried here, guys, from the vantage point of, you know, let's say Lopez gets 15 minutes, okay? Suddenly you have 33 minutes to divide up between Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, guys who are mostly centers. Uh, I forget who I threw to last time. Raph, let's go back to you. I mean, can you uh, present an optimistic case here for either of the young Magic big men? Yeah, and the reason why I remain optimistic is the fact that there are no illusions as to what Orlando is is doing at this point. They're looking to rebuild, get those young players as much time as they can handle. Um, But when you're rebuilding like this, you need a couple veterans, not so much to play, but to be healthy influences in the locker room. And I think that's why they added Robin Lopez more than asking him to play 15, 18 minutes per game. Um, I think he'll play early on. He's one of those guys that I look at as a prime candidate to get more rest days as the season progresses and Orlando kind of falls out of that playoff mm-hmm. picture. 
so I wouldn't be too concerned. I think more concerning for me regarding Bamba is his medical history. You know, he really hasn't been able to stay healthy. Last year, it took him a while to recover from COVID, uh, which he caught before the bubble the season prior. And that's one of those instances where they talk about long COVID. Maybe he had something of that effect to deal with. But, you know, he he has potential, obviously, but he has to stay on the court. He has to remain available. That's the biggest thing for him. Wendell Carter Jr., they got in the Vucevic trade. I think he's the guy that may end up being their, their starting center of the future. So I think Carter and Bamba will be fine with regard to their fantasy value, but the Lopez factor, I'd be more concerned about Bamba's injuries and, and Lopez sniping any minutes from those guys. Yeah, I'm with Raph. If Lopez is going to get minutes, it's probably going to be early in the season while Coach Jamal mostly is like players are earning minutes, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, instilling good habits and responsibility and blown assignment on defense, Mo. Well, guess what? You're out of the game and that, that kind of thing. Long term, he doesn't concern me. I'm not going to assume that Scott Brooks's strange decision-making will apply to Mosley throughout the course of the season. After all, after all, a guy who started Alex Len repeatedly, and we don't need to get go down that again. Sorry. I know it's still a fresh wound for you, Matt, Uh, but, um, but at the same time, I'm not sold on Wendell Carter Jr. Last year, I gave him a bit of goodwill. I thought, Hey, he's positioned ideally in Chicago. Coach was talking him up, saying they wanted to give him more responsibilities, etc. We saw that in the preseason and the early stages of the season, and he could not hack it. I mean, he didn't with the ball in space. He had no idea what to do. It just wasn't a good look for him. Uh, Chicago basically gave up, shipped him to Orlando. And I'm not seeing like a fantasy resurgence there. He just doesn't do it for me. Per 36 minutes, 1.1 blocks and 0.9 steals combined last year. That like where's the fantasy upside so uh especially with a guy who's not going to make his free throws so but mo bamba on the other hand as long as as raf said he stays healthy well oh matt you have a point <laughs> oh i thought i thought you raised your hand <laughs> oh yes mo, mo, mo bamba mo bamba is is my guy i mean the blocks the boards the three pointers he was showing legit three-point range i'm excited to see what he can do i am very excited about mo bamba and that's that was the whole genesis of this concern in the first place i just i uh, really i just couldn't believe robin lopez is there but i'm matt, glad to hear you guys shoot that down a little bit al horford and robin lopez are keeping you up at night <laughs> <laughs> hey it's first of all it's august right so it's but true. secondly i mean yeah robin lopez is a guy who who will get min like coaches like robin lopez it's pretty clear that's why i'm worried about it you know it, it just wouldn't I, I know what you guys are saying about he'll just fade away. I'm not so sure he will. I, I'm glad to hear you say it. And the good news for Bamba is he does not need a lot of minutes to thrive. Last year in his final 23 games, in just 21 minutes a game, he averaged 11 points, seven and a half boards, 1.7 blocks and 1.23s. And that's a guy, Ryan, I, I see you nodding as well. I'm going to be drafting you know, after the middle rounds of my drafts around in the Robert Williams range. Actually, these guys are kind of in similar spots, although Robert Williams doesn't hit threes. Raph, are you uh, about the same on Mo Bamba as you are Robert Williams or possibly more excited? I don't know, man. I I guess a little more excited because of (laughs) three-pointers. But I think what we also have to keep in mind here is that Bamba and Carter are completely different centers. Like, Bamba has that face-up potential, as we've seen. 
Carter isn't that type of player. He's never been that type of player. Like, I respect Chicago for trying to make him that ahead of last season. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't going to work. Like, if you only watched him play it, like, yeah. at Duke or even before that high school, like, 15 feet and in is where he's most comfortable. So asking him to try to uh-huh. extend his range that quickly out to beyond the three-point line, become a bit more of a playmaker, it was destined to fail. And it did fit. So I think in Orlando, he's in in a little bit better position. But, yeah, I I have to admit, if you're going to ask me to choose which one of those two centers I'd be higher on from a fantasy standpoint, it would be Mo Bamba, just because of his mobility and his ability to get out on on the floor. All right. I'll take it. I would have liked a little more enthusiasm about Mo Bamba there. Like I said, the the medical history just scares me, especially in Orlando where you've got him, you've got Fultz, you've got Isaac. All guys who just struggled to stay healthy. It, it was the one positive note, I suppose, in that regard, is that it was the long COVID that really dragged him down mm-hmm. throughout last season. So at least it wasn't like a continued another lower body yeah. injury type thing. So that's that's giving me mm-hmm. a little glimmer of hope as someone who wants him to do well. All right. Meanwhile, I look at the Raptors front court and the guy I'm now, this episode is basically you guys assuaging my anxiety, I guess, <laughs> is what this has turned into. The guy I'm worried about... <laughs> Now in Toronto is Chris Boucher. Now, they not only signed Ken Birch to a contract extension recently, and by the way, he was kind of a revelation for them down the stretch. They also traded for Precious Achua from Miami in the Kyle Lowry trade. Achua was a first-round pick last year, a promising young big guy. Can play power forward too, but you figure he's probably in that center mix as well. You know Birch is going to play because they he played well for them. They like him. They extended him. I mean, if you've heard Steve Alexander talk, you know that Nick Nurse seems to get easily frustrated with Chris Boucher. So there are multiple options at Nurse's disposal to make Boucher potentially more of a bit player. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this situation? Am I too pessimistic on Boucher given the landscape there? Or does this sound about right? I think you're once again too pessimistic. Uh, I'll play the the therapist role, Matt. And you're, you're in a safe space okay. with Boucher. Um, he's, I mean, he's the most talented guy in that center rotation and you know Ken Birch yes they re-signed him and he was good but he's not like a big minute guy uh, Achua can play power forward too and we don't know if Siakam's going to be there uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the season probably isn't uh, he's been kicked around in a lot of trade rumors um, I say probably isn't I don't have any information on that Ign- ignore that that's just my supposition that this is a team that's rebuilding and it makes sense for them to flip him um, but no Boucher I mean what what was he in 24 minutes per game last year. He was a top 40 fantasy player. The only thing I don't like about that is that it's so heavily concentrated in blocks. He was a category dominant player who helped elsewhere, but maybe not a ton. He kind of came and went because, as you mentioned, the the Nick Nurse factor. Nurse didn't like his rebounding, his effort. And those blocks were kind of a double-edged sword because a lot of them came with him chasing blocks and putting himself out of position defensively, which just you know, irked the coaching staff to no end. Hence, they yanked him. His minutes went down. So it was, you know, get some blocks, lose some minutes situation. Hopefully he has ironed out some of those kinks over the offseason. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried just because he brings, like we were talking about with the uh, the Magic Bigs, Boucher and, and Achua are, are different in that Achua really doesn't give you much, like outside of 15 feet offensively. Boucher has the potential to step mm-hmm. out. I think he hit 1.5 threes per game last season, um, and which for a center is 
a pretty good number, you know, you think about it. So he gives him a bit more, but like Ryan said, the attention to detail defensively, while it did extend, you know, result in some profit from a block standpoint, he lost minutes because there were times where he'd take gambles or he'd just get caught sleeping and his man, he'd end up getting beat. And coaches don't like to give up points. So that, that's a good way to end up on the bench, regardless of the level of basketball we're talking about. But, you know, another year of experience, he actually got consistent rotation minutes last season, even though they weren't as many as, as a lot of us would have liked. Those consistent rotation minutes, that kind of foundation to fall back on, I think he's going to end up being a better player for the Raptors. And I don't know if he'll be top 40 in fantasy, but I don't think he's going to drop off too much. I think he'll be top 40. And uh, you mentioned his three-point shooting. I was I remembered him being really, really good at some point. And sure enough, before the All-Star break, over a 36-game sample, he made one and a half, or rather 1.7 threes per game on 44.5% from deep. Mm-hmm. Like, extremely good on reasonably high volume. So that's the type of versatility and fantasy goodness that I love. I will say, aside from Boucher, I still like Kem Birch as a standalone guy next year and a guy who you probably will be completely forgotten in a lot of drafts and you can get basically at the end. Just a reminder, when he was with Toronto, he averaged in 19 games, he averaged about 12 points a game, seven and a half boards, 1.2 blocks, 0.8 steals. And half a three per game. So yeah. that guy was pretty good down the stretch. A couple of assists as well. Quietly a name to keep in mind, Kem Birch. Even, and I could see both those guys having value now that yeah. you guys have talked me back into Boucher. Matt, can I can uh, I ask? Because personally, I would take Boucher, then Robert Williams, then Mo Bamba. Are you, are you with me on that ordering for these bigs that we've been discussing? Definitely on Boucher because I think... He we've already seen him, you know, early in the season last year, he really was putting up, you know, some early round value. Uh, Robert Williams, Mo Bamba is kind of a coin flip for me. It's pretty close, probably, okay. but I'll probably have them quite close to each other. Fair. I think that the blueprint for both of those guys is about the same. Please. I'm give just, them I'm just trying minutes. to extract as much intel as I can so I can out, out draft. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, Boucher, Boucher, definitely uh, okay. at the top of that list. Okay, last team I want to look at is the Washington Wizards. And this front court, in my eyes, is a complete mess after the Russell Westbrook trade with the Lakers. I mean, just looking at the depth chart on NBC Sports Edge, you have Kyle Kuzma, Rui Hachimura, and Davis Bertans fighting for minutes at the four. So I want to focus in on that. And, And I kind of look at this from the vantage point of Kuzma first. Because, you know, he is a guy who, in the right situation, we've seen him be somewhat of a fantasy factor. We also have seen Hachimura kind of, you know, flirt with fantasy value. We've seen Bretons do the same. This feels like just a value-killing three-way mess, Raph. Are you gonna are you gonna agree with me on this one, or are you guys again gonna tell me everything? Yeah, fun? this is the one I'm concerned about here. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, all three have had moments where they provided fantasy value, but now you get them as part of the same rotation. I'm sure we'll get to the center position in a minute, mm-hmm. but. I think Hachimura is still going to start. And what you would hope is that the aggressiveness that he had to show for Japan in the Olympics will carry over to the Wizards. I think there were times where he's a bit too deferential offensively, which you understand when you're playing alongside Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. But now Russ is gone. They're going to need a bit more from him to kind of step forward and be a bit more aggressive offensively. Then I think Kuzma is going to be kind of like that microwave type six man rule for them 
Mm-hmm. He can. We've seen him have some big scoring nights. You know, the fit alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis just wasn't good for him because he's not a very good off-the-ball player, I don't think, at least offensively. So maybe he'll have more opportunities coming off the bench in Washington to where he can get the ball on the wing and make some plays. Maybe that'll help him a little bit. But then again, you're talking bench minutes. I don't think he's going to get like 30 minutes per game. So that's the issue you're dealing with. Bertans give you three pointers. And he's kind of like, a, I see him as a points and threes guy. So I, I'm with you. I really don't know what to make of this position group until we see them in action, like preseason and maybe even early regular season. Obviously, that won't help you from a fantasy draft standpoint, but you're, you're kind of going to be flying blind in these drafts when it comes to those Wizards power forwards. <laughs> yes. And usually people flying blind don't land safely. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I will. <laughs> I will not be touching. I mean, honestly, I look at the wa- at the Wizards roster. I'm thinking Bradley Beal, definitely a absolute draft target. I mean, he's going to uh, odds on favorite to win the scoring title and get as many sure. touches as he can conceivably get. Nobody else on this roster appeals to me. I'm not very high on Dinwiddie, although he's solid. I think he's going to be a little overdrafted. We've talked about that before. Bryant, the health issues are a little concerning. Plus, he has to deal with Gafford and Montrez Harrell. That power forward spot is a total mess. Uh, and I mean, Avdia and Kispert, like nobody appeals to me, literally. This is a one fantasy player team in my mind. Um, yes, other guys will have sporadic value. And, you know, maybe a guy like Hachimura will break out and be great. But I look at things like what else can he do besides score the ball with reasonable efficiency, but not great for a big uh, he played almost 1800 minutes last season. He had seven blocked shots. 44 steal. Is that good? <laughs> is that a, is that that's a lot of that's good, right? It would be good if you were in the first grade playing against NBA uh talent. No. 7 blocks in 1800 minutes, is that what you said? That is correct. Those are, those are the numbers. You're a tall guy. Stick your arms up, you're going to get more than 7 by accident, I swear. <laughs> You'd think so. I I wish I had a list of like guards 6 foot and under who had blocked more than more shots than that. Anyway, point being, doesn't do it for me for fantasy. I'm with you. I'm I'm walking away. We're walking away. Finally, we reached a a team we're going to walk away from. I just felt like you guys have been so sunny this whole episode. (laughs) And uh, Raph, you you mentioned that that center rotation. Yeah, it's uh, not as clear as we'd like. You know, Bryant isn't reportedly isn't going to be ready for the start of the season. I guess that gives us a little bit of clarity where it's Montrez Harrell, if they're going to use him at the five, and Daniel Gafford. So once Bryant's back, though, that's a that's kind of a three-headed yeah. mess as I well, think, right? Yeah, because Harold almost has to play the five because of how poor he is defensively, and, and then you bounce, you counter that with Gafford, who's a very good defensive center, but outside of dunks, he really doesn't give you much yeah. offensively. So how that balance is managed early on is going to be interesting to see. And then you're going to throw Thomas Bryant into the mix. I think he's the best offensive center of those three. But defensively, I don't think he's Harold bad, but he's not great either. So now you're looking at a situation where you've got three guys potentially splitting up 48 minutes, just like we did last season. And that was infuriating from a fantasy standpoint. So I think I think uh, Gafford has the most fantasy potential, but is he going to be able to realize it? With that rotation, I don't think so. Devastating. <laughs> Just devastating to hear. 
I, I would definitely put of the intriguing big guys that we talked about, Boucher, Robert Williams, Bamba, and Gafford, I would put Gafford fourth on my in my order there just because of the situation. I think he is in the worst situation of those four guys. And it sounds like you guys agree. Yeah. Yeah. Even if Harold hadn't arrived and you know, there was that, well, it can Bryant stay healthy and even if they split minutes, uh you know, Gafford can do quite well. But the the Harold thing really just muddies the waters a little too much for me. The good news for Gafford is that there's no way Wes Unseld Jr. can be less inclined to try giving him minutes than Scott Brooks was. <laughs> Scott Brooks would be like, he forgot, and then in the middle of the game, he's like, oh, oh wait, 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 that guy is, that guy is here. And let me throw him in for 10 minutes, and then Gafford has like 12 points and six boards in like 10 minutes, and then he, he benched him the rest of the game. Interestingly, the, Anyways, the, I don't need to relive that. The same thing has been said about Harrell uh, and Gafford in that both are so high intensity when they get out there that their coaches don't want to kind of burn them mm-hmm. out by playing them huge minutes. They want them to go in, make an impact, run, 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 run. And Gafford, even late last year, he admitted that his conditioning was a little bit of a problem, and that's why his minutes were down. So hopefully a full summer, that won't be a roadblock, the conditioning, but it's just the other players ahead of him. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. We're going to be back here on Monday with some Summer League takeaways and more. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Ryan, Raph, thanks to both of you guys. We'll see you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.